but I was having my own Holy Ghost party up here. I just want to say that that song was amazing, and I just love the whole set and just to hear um, the anointing flow. I hope you could feel out there what we were feeling up here. It was uh, it was legit. Whereas my brother MC Hammer would say, "Too legit to quit." <laughs> you don't know nothing about that. All right, so. I'm just going to jump right into it. Romans chapter 11. See, the resurrection has a word in, in, in Greek that means anastasis. It means to stand again. And so we've been in this series, and we just kind of stayed in it. We're in our eighth week. I don't think I've ever done a series for eight weeks, ever. Y'all know my attention span is about as long as this. Okay, next. So, I, I mean, to stay in the resurrection is something that we got to sit in because the resurrection drives courage. To be able to stand again drives courage. So in the book of Romans, I told you I love Romans so much, I named, you know, my, my uh, youngest son after that book, Romans chapter 11. It's interesting to me to see this hymn at the end of the chapter. I mean, Paul can not contain himself and just goes right into it. And so why is Romans going to be so important for us? Because Romans really speaks to everyday life. And it speaks to where we are. Because in everything that we need today is we need courage. Let's just be honest. In everything that's going on, there's more pushback. And I don't want to, I don't really care about political correctness. I don't really care about all the politics. I don't care about what the world says. I don't care. All I care about is what Jesus says. I just care about what Jesus says. Because I I know that Jesus is the only one who can make it right. You know, we got all this stuff that's flying around, and if you're on social media, you know what I'm talking about. It can just get oh, crazy with the vilification of one statement to the next, and then everybody throws in their opinions, and, you know, I, I don't really care about opinions. I care about a conviction, but really conviction what the Lord says. And so I like when Paul, who's kind of going through what we go through, this modern-day chaos, I believe it's chaos because without vision, the Bible says people cast off restraint. Or you might have remembered the King Jimmy version, right? Without vision, the people what? Perish. See, the reason why we perish is because when everybody casts off restraint, or in other words, every man does what's right in his own eyes, judges, come on somebody, then what happens when everybody scatters and they do what's right in their own lives, there's nothing that galvanizes and brings us together. So people perish. Everybody's running, but they're running scattered and they just run off a cliff. It's kind of what happened when the demons went into the pigs. What did the pigs do in Mark chapter 5? They just ran off the cliff. They just ran off the cliff because when there's total chaos, when chaos reigns, there is no order. Without no order, there is no God. So we want to see here at the end where Paul just begins this beautiful hymn. And, and can we just kind of just bask in it and soak in it? And as I read it, maybe, you know, you mouth it to yourself, whatever else, just speak it with me, whatever you want to do. But just sing this and pray this and speak this over your life, this hymn, because there's all these hymns in Scripture. So Paul would say this as the editors would write a hymn of praise. And listen to what he says. Read it. Oh, the death. Oh, the death of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of whose saints? And let's just, let's just kind of let it soak in us. Listen, oh, the death. The death of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? <laughs> Last time I checked when I asked God or told God what to do, well, that didn't work out too. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid? 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I'm going to be honest. I pray that you can't get past these verses these whole next week. I pray you put them on a card in your car. I, I, I pray that you, uh, you know, uh, write them on your uh, books, write them on something, write it on your arm, do something with it. Like, just keep this in front of you all week. That whenever you go about, whatever you do, whatever happens, all the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. I mean, just to speak that language, all the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable, I love this, his judgments, and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has first ever given to him, and has to be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Father, that is our prayer today. Your depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are your judgments and your ways are untraceable. Lord, we cannot know your mind without Jesus. We cannot have a counselor without the Holy Spirit. We can never give to you first because you have first loved us. So therefore, as the song has said, Jesus is our first love. We can never pay you back. But what we do know is we acknowledge today that from you and through you and to you are all things and to you be all the glory forever and ever. So I come with those words, and I come with the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask you now, I ask you to, Lord, increase in this room. Increase your presence. Answer us. Speak to us, Lord. Call a call to our hearts. Awaken our deadness. Awaken our fuzziness. And clear it all up with only what you can give. And Lord, I pray today, because you are good and your mercies are new every morning, we come on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ who crushed Satan, who crushed death, who gave victory over all enemies. We come in his matchless name, and I ask that I not speak with words of any man's wisdom, but Lord, I speak with your power of the Holy Spirit, so that people will not rest upon what I've said, but rest upon the power of God. I don't want to come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Lord, you promised in Luke 11, 13, about people that didn't know you when you said, if you then be evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask your Heavenly Father? I ask for your Holy Spirit to move mightily. Please forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for my lack of. Lord, may we come in your riches of abundance. We love you. Your mercies, your mercies, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, let us rejoice in it and let the mercy of God today give us courage because we get mercy because the love of Jesus never ends. Let us walk in it, Lord. And so we ask that you just speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we all said what? So uh, here's the point today. Here's one, one main idea, and then I'm going to break it down into this. Into, into, into two promises. But here's the main idea. Is, is that because of God's mercy, we can have courage in any situation. Because of God's mercies, and I really want to focus on the mercy of God today. Because of God's mercy, we can have courage. Listen, we all stand in need of God's mercy. We all stand in need of God's mercy. When Jesus was on the cross, and the fiery judgment of God, the holiness of God, came against the sin that was put on him, and he held back the total wrath of God so that we can get mercy. 
Mercy, mercy, mercy. The breath that you breathe, the relationships that you have, the situations that you're in are all mercy. From the greatest antibiotics to the scariest microviruses, they are all under the control of God and His mercies are new every morning. And if it wasn't for His mercy, where would we be? Now, some of the older people in the room can testify a little bit, right? Because if God had to show up in our life, come on now, somebody, tell the truth, shame the devil. If God had to show up in our life, where would we be? We would be on the path. Come on, if you've lived long enough, you know what I'm talking about. We would have been on the path of self-destruction. If Jesus had not stepped in in our lives and radically changed us, where would we be? Oh, the death of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and untraceable his ways. Oh, to him belongs everything. So it's because of his mercies. So how can we, as believers in Christ, facing all the craziness that, by the way, the little doctrine in this age has blinded the hearts and the minds of unbelievers? So don't expect people who are not spiritually alive to act like they have life in Christ. Come on, somebody. We can't expect people. I don't get mad when people use the Lord's name in vain. Now, somebody in your family might fall over, but I just see it as an opportunity for Jesus to be glorified. I promise you, God is past the offense of somebody blaspheming his name. Because while we are still sinners, I'll go over here. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He's over, like he is not going, oh, you offended me. You just took my name and put it with a swear word, and now I'm never going to speak to you again. Hmm. Burn in hell. I mean, he's past that. He's past that. For God so loved, and because of his love, we get his mercy. We get his mercy over and over and over in scripture. So how do we get this mercy? Listen, here's what I promise. I believe this with all my heart. This is what God's been working on my life. And I pray that you'll do this. I don't care if you don't feel God. I just want you to trust him. I don't care if you feel him. I don't care if you walk in every day apathetic. Apathetic is a fancy word where you just don't feel anything. And listen, I just want to say something. If you got children, sometimes y'all know what I'm talking about. Because there's some days you love them and there's some days you trade them. Now, tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. It's not unspiritual to be, to be truthful. Just, just tell the truth, shame the devil. There's, there are days, there are days I'm like, hmm, can we trade that? Right? Because here's why. Because they want to trade me. So my point is this. It doesn't matter what I feel because feelings come and go. There are some days I'm not naive. There are some days that my beautiful wife down there with those children who she's so annoyed by, uh, they're teaching them. And there are some days I'm sure she wakes up and she looks at me and says, Wow! Thank you, Jesus! Oh, are y'all judging me? Y'all think those days are rare. Then, the majority of the days she wakes up and says, Oh, Jesus, what did I do? See, it doesn't matter what she feels. It matters who she trusts. Because if she feels like not being married to me, but if she trusts God can do something with me, then maybe she'll step on in and work with me because she trusts the God who's bigger than me. Though I might be messed up and jacked up, Jesus can raise me up. And so that's what happens in, in marriages. That's what happens in relationships and jobs. That's what happens with our self-identity. Because when we're consumed by the love of Christ, for the love of Christ compels us, is what Scripture says, things change. So how can we have courage by the mercy? Here's the first way we can have. Here's the first promise I want you to stand. Promise number one. There's only two we're going to talk about. Promise number one today is this. Is we receive God's mercy because... He sees what we don't see. Oh, that was good. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Just, is he calling the golden corral this morning in his mind? What's happening? That, yes, I, I like staying in my happy place, golden corral. You should too. 
But my point is this, is that the promise of God is this, if we can trust his promises, regardless of what we feel, that God sees what we don't see. And I'm going to show you this in Romans chapter 11. Here, all the death. Um, I, can't even, I like the way he would say death, you know, when he, when he puts his word. I mean, the death, when you, when you think of God, there's something volume in this statement. There's not just a width. There's not just a, a breadth of something that's out there. He's like, there's a volume. There is a depth. There is something so deep as, as, as the Greek New Testament would identify and, and would define this, this word depth as an inexhaustible abundance. If you want to write that down, you want to do something with it. But I want you to know something. When everything has run out, it has not run out in Jesus. Mm -hmm. That was good. When your love for somebody's run out, when your the situation and jobs run out, and you don't know what's going on, listen, when everything is out, God isn't. When the world has no more resources, God still does. Because he didn't need anything in this world or this universe to create. He needed no prior materials. God is not going to be as as Pastor Pollock would say, he is not a debtor to anybody. The debt, the inexhaustible. And, and see, in other words, what I want us to do today is not just, sometimes when we stand, and Jeremy and just got uh, done taking some people 70 miles on a hike. I don't want 70 miles of my life, but that's another story. So my, my point is, it's one thing to see the mountain and stand at the bottom of the mountain, but it's one thing to stand on top of the mountain and look down. When we, when we stand on the mountain and look down, sometimes we get a view of just not how far we can see, but how high up we are. There, when there's depth added to our vision, things change. And so I pray today that the Spirit is showing you how deep, how deep are the riches of His wisdom and knowledge. How deep, for example, this word, what does it mean there? Looking back there in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. The depth of his wisdom. The Greek word there is sophist, where we get the word sophistry or, 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 or wisdom. Uh, the idea, what does it mean that God has deep wisdom? What is this mercy? It means that he sees what I can't see. I want us to trust today that God can see something that we can't see. That's why we can surrender. We can surrender our lives, surrender our heart to him because he sees further. He knows more and can do more than what we can see or do together. There is this idea of depth. What do I mean by the depth of his wisdom? The word wisdom there means intelligence. It is the idea, I mean, write it down, like spend time with it. God, you're a genius. That's why we use this language. God, you're a genius. In other words, God sees things on how it should be done before it is done. You, you see, the, the world was created to God before he ever verbalized the creation of the world. He, intelligent people see how things are done before they are done. They have what we call in athletics a game plan. Is that correct? Is that Coach Reyes? There's a game plan. There is an intelligence before there is an application of that or, or to the working out of that. So God is a genius. He sees what we don't see. And because he sees things, we get mercy. We get mercy, mercy, mercy all the time. Let me give you an example. Here's a, remember, uh, uh, Peter Lynn says this, but uh, it's all still that There's always a, uh, uh, a New Testament point has an Old Testament what? Picture. A New Testament point has an Old Testament picture. Let's look at the Old Testament picture of what I mean by the intelligence or the wisdom, or the depth of his wisdom, the depth of his intelligence. God looks at us and our situations with a deep intelligence and a foresight that we cannot see. I'll, I'll, let's, let's look at the picture. There's a guy named Jonah. You might want to call him John. You might want to call him Ricky. You might want to call him Jeremy Douglas for sure. You might want to call him Kelvin Long. You might want to call him uh, 
well, Kevin's pretty holy, so I can't use him as an example. He's, he's pretty good. Um, but Ricky Reyes, for sure, is definitely a gentleman. Um, maybe there's some other gentlemen in this room. I, I really don't know. I don't want to, like, gossip. Uh, Robbie, definitely, you're on there. Uh, you're on the gentleman list. Um, maybe there's some other people in this room, y'all looking like, don't call me, don't call me, don't call me. I would never, ever, ever uh, call on you, Becker. I got never would. Um, Jonah, I, I just never would do those types of things. Zach never call you Jonah at all. Never, never. Like, y'all are my heroes. But what I'm saying is, a guy named Jonah. And so Jonah was a guy, you know, listen, you grew up, you know the story. You're like enamored. You can follow my fish, and the fish spit him out. And for all of you people that love to fish, there's a prime example that fish can attack you. So when you're out there fishing one day, God might send a big well. I can see Jerry Paula out there, row, 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 oh, I'm gonna fish. Lord, please let the people from the summit find me. <laughs> no, keep him in there, Lord. Keep him in there for a little bit. Okay, I'm just out of now, my point is, is that Jonah was jacked up. He got a word from the Lord. God said, go to Nineveh, right? Y'all know about the Ninevites. They were wicked people. And you think the Nazis did experiments with humans? You know nothing about the Assyrians. Like the Assyrians, you know what they would do when they would come in. They, they would come in and put hooks in people's noses. Right? I mean, just read about what the Babylonians did to, to the people of Judah. Like when they carried them out in exile, they put hooks in their noses, lined them up, and then pulled them this way. How, how would that feel, by the way? Not, not too good. I mean, these are the Ninevites there, modern day Iraq, Babylon, Babylon. I mean, it's, it's a really intense place. It is a wicked city of 120,000 plus people, and they are just wicked. They are wicked, and God is like, I want you to go there, and I want you to preach. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's the end of the sermon. Some of y'all are like, wow, that's great. Let's go eat. So that's what he, that's what he was supposed to do. But Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because God, I know I'm afraid if I go and then repent in the depth of your intelligence, in the depth of your wisdom, in the depth of your foresight, that you might not bring the noise on. Let's Amy speak for, like, destroy Go back to the Psalms where you, you see the psalmist saying, take their children and dash them on the rock. You're like, oh, that's in scripture. Yeah, the people would verbalize their pain. So what's happening here, I want you to see here, is that then all of a sudden, Jonah gets this, this break, the fish spits him out, and all of a sudden, the word of the Lord comes to him again in chapter 2. We see all this going on in chapter 3. Word of the Lord comes to him and says, go to Nineveh. Chapter 3, he goes to Nineveh, and he begins to preach. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. You can look at it there in verses 4 and 5 and following. And then all of a sudden, you see there in verse 5 and 6, in Jonah chapter 3, you see where all of a sudden, the Ninevites begin to repent. They're going to repent so much that all of a sudden, they're like, call fast. Now listen, I just want you all to know something. I love Jesus, but I better be in some desperate sin if I'm not going to eat. I'm going to be a death. If I'm not going to eat, like, Lord, if I'm going to give up bread, it better be a pretty big thing you're asking me to do. All right? Like, because that's, I guess, like, God, bread, wife, children, in that order. Like, you know, right? In the, you know, that's the way it works. And so what happens is, is that he, he does this, and then look at verse 10. Here's an example of God sees what we don't see so we can get mercy. This, like, wrecked me. This wrecked me. Eli Bird and I were talking about that uh, this week, uh, earlier. Verse 10, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, look what it says. Then God saw their actions. Uh, uh, by the way, he saw their what? I didn't hear you. He saw their what? Yeah, now, now don't get crazy with this. You, you don't get mercy by works. You get mercy by a changed heart. You, you get mercy because God is good and wants to give it to us. But their actions were responsible of their part. So don't be in, well, what's this going to be? Do better, do better. No, if you pile up a bunch of dudes, you get doo doo. Okay, but anyway, that's my point. So, right, it's just there. And so here, in that, he sees their actions, all their actions, that they had, that they had turned, that they had turned from their what saints? Evil. In the depth 
of his wisdom, that it is his foresight, his intelligence, his ability to look at a situation and make a game plan of that situation or go into a situation with a game plan. How could he look at that and in this passage, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to, do to them and he did not do it. I don't understand. John, how are you saying that we get mercy because God sees what we don't see? Here's how. Here's a practical thing. Nineveh is evil and wicked. But then he says something. Oh, this is so good. Come on, somebody. This is so good. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Look at this. Woo! This is good now. Jonah 4, verse 11. After Jonah gets mad at God, he's like, God, just kill me. You didn't kill him. This heat's terrible. You better teach me a lesson when the plant died. All of a sudden, I don't have time to go into it. Bottom line is he's like, look, just kill me. And God, all of a sudden, you see the heart of God, why he relented from not bringing up on these evil people. Look what it says here. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than how many? Is it up there? Okay. That has more than what? 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their what saints and their God did not bring the hammer because of mercy because he saw what Jonah didn't see he saw what Jonah did not see and I know some of you are going well that's not fair that's not right when is
the point he wasn't getting his medicine. I mean, he had been expelled, had done some bad things, all this type of stuff. But yet this little, this little child was attracted to my daughter in the sense of he would give her an open door. He felt love. He felt some unconditional love from her. So he began to listen to her. He actually began to do his work and study. Why? Because when, and by the way, I'm not going to go into the evil actions that he went into, like I'm talking expulsion activity. Now, but, but what happened was my daughter saw the environment that he came from, and so the environment that he came from, she gave him mercy on the actions that he did. Come on, somebody. If we're, that was real good. If we're adults, can look at children and say, you acted out because your parents are crazy your environment was crazy, or you had all this stuff that was crazy, and you were abused and all this other stuff, and so you're acting out of your pain. If we as adults can give people mercy based on their environment, how much more can the king of the universe look at John Davis and say, I forgive you and I love you. Though your actions are evil, though you are coming from a place of misery, because your spirit is dead, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. I love you more than your evil. That's real good. Oh, the death of the riches of the wisdom of God. That's what that means. God sees us in what we don't see. God sees us, we who have evil actions. Come on, tell the truth, sing the devil. Right? We have evil actions. The reason why God can look past our evil actions, the reason why God can look past our evil actions, because he sees that we have a dead heart. And without Jesus Christ, we can't do anything righteous. No, they are not righteous. No, not one. But because of God, in his great love and mercy, what did he do? He sent Jesus to die for us. Oh, the death of the riches of the wisdom of God. God hears a promise. We get mercy because God sees what we don't see. And so though John Davis is evil, though John Davis sins, and so what will we do, believers, when we sin? We start feeling convicted when we're sinning, and when we don't deal with it, when we don't go to the person that we sinned against, or we don't go to God and begin to act and say, forgive me, Lord, of the forgiveness. We don't relent uh, and, 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 and do like the Ninevites did and repent and start fasting and do those things. We don't go to God out of our brokenness. And when we don't do those things, we start feeling condemnation. But Romans tells us, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But we feel condemnation because we don't act on conviction. So when we're convicted of sin, we're convicted because we're a child of God. And God is not mad at us. He's not angry with us. And he's not going to walk away from us. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God. Here's the why. Romans puts it this way, 5, 6. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless in our misery, saints, in our brokenness, in our hurting, away from God, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the what, saints? It's not up there, is it? Ungodly. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I want you to stand on the promise today that you and I get mercy because God sees what we don't see. He sees what we don't see. Second promise. We receive God's mercy because of Jesus. The second promise you can always land on, I can always land on, is we get, we receive God's mercy because of Jesus. You say, well, John, that's an overstatement of the obvious. Really? Is it really an overstatement? Or, is it, or, or could it be not stated enough? I mean, how many times do we walk around and say, listen, God, though I sin in my lust, though I sin in this covenant, though I sin in this gospel, though I sin in all this stuff as believers, when are believers going to start walking in freedom so the world can say, I would rather be like the Jesus to them than what the world offers me? Because the world is going to lead you to bondage. The world is going to lead you to gold handcuffs. The world is going to lead you to relationships that require more out of you and then take it from you than what they give to you. Can I get a witness? But not with Jesus. Jesus, we, it is a promise, we receive mercy because of Jesus. 
go back to Romans 11. This is so good. Oh, this is so good. Do you hear what I hear? Never mind, it's not Christmas. All right, so. Listen to the hymn. Oh, the depth. Romans 11, 33. Ready? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the what? I didn't hear you. And the what? Of God. All right, so. First promise, we get mercy because God sees what we don't see. We get, in other words, let me just put it this way. First promise is we get mercy because of God's wisdom. Second is we get mercy because of God's knowledge. Or, let me put it down in John Davis vernacular, because of Jesus. Now, what's the difference between sophistry, wisdom, and the Greek word gnosis of knowledge? What is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Wisdom is the intelligence to see what needs to be done, or what can be done, or how to fix what's undone. Are y'all tracking me? Wisdom is the ability to see. Knowledge is the application of the intelligence. Ah, uh, y'all didn't hear me. That's so good. I'll say it again. I'll break it down into the definition. Knowledge is what we call applied knowledge, or experientially, Knowing. You might translate it this way. The Greek translates it this way. A working knowledge. Not only does God have wisdom to give us mercy because he, he's, he, 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 he sees what we don't see, but he has a working knowledge of the brokenness that we live in because of Jesus. So, oh, somebody. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, right? Over powerless, and Christ died for the ungodly. So, what did he, Jesus, do? He emptied himself in Philippians 2, and he took the form of flesh. He became this God who became a man, and he emptied himself. And so, Jesus, so God can say today, you have become my son. Why has he become the son? Because he, uh, he, he failed his divinity, took on our lowly, weak bodies of humanity, and now God has a working knowledge of the brokenness that we stay in, so he can give us mercy, and his mercies are new every morning, because he knows what you're going through. Come on, that is really good. That's worth at least a shout. He had working knowledge. God, if you don't get anything, I shouldn't say that, I want you to get anything. John Piper would say, he has knowledge, working knowledge, of the demand that we could not meet and the burden we could not bear. The demand that we could meet. Matthew 5, 48, King Jimmy, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be ye perfect. There is a demand that we cannot meet, saints, and the demand is what? Perfection or perfectness. You're getting it. The Holy Spirit is open your eyes. There's a demand that we cannot meet. Be ye perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. We cannot be perfect. There is a demand that we cannot meet. But because of Jesus, but because of the Jesus of Nazareth who came on this earth, who took on our imperfection so that we could have perfection and who lived a perfect life, let's call it in theology, a righteous life or biblical uh, terminology, a righteous life. He took our imperfection and became perfection and became perfect for us so that we can have the righteousness of God. God has a working knowledge of our imperfection so that we can receive his perfection. Here's an example of it. Hebrews 5. I know I'm bouncing around. I'm sorry, Brandy. I love you. You know you're my daughter. I love you. Hebrews 5, verse 5 says this. Look at, look at the working knowledge. Or Hebrews 11, 33. Look at the knowledge of the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge. Working knowledge. Experiential knowledge. Jesus experienced humanity. God experienced, right? Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the what, saints? Jesus is the image of who? The invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. God, the essence of God, begotten, his only begotten son, John 3.16, the essence of God became 
flesh so he could experience our brokenness because we could not fix ourselves. Hebrews 5 verse 5, in the same way Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son today, I become your father. I don't have time to go into it, but that's what it means. When God, Jesus stepped out of divinity and stepped into humanity, that's, when, that's the language of God. It said, you are my son. That's where we get the messianic title, son of God in the Old Testament, or son of man, right? That's why Jesus would call him son of man and son of God, because he took on humanity. He took on humanity, but you couldn't divorce humanity, son, from the divinity of God. Verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers. Look at the weakness. Look at the applied working knowledge. Look at the experiential knowledge of Jesus. During the days of Jesus, he, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned from obedience what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Robert, can you pray with me, man? Because I, I, we're going to land this thing in a little bit. Can you tell him what we jacked up today? Um, I'm sweating. I want to get like T.D. James, man. I just want to get like, I just want to sweat and cloth. Anyway, never mind. And so, I, I, I just want to roll. My point is this. There's a demand we could meet. Perfection. Matthew 5, 48. And Jesus met. And there's a burden we couldn't bear. There's a burden we could not bear. But, but Jesus, Jesus did that. So in this, this burden that we could not bear, because we sinned, sin brought a curse. Remember that in Genesis chapter 3? Right? Remember Genesis chapter 3? There was a sin. And that sin brought a curse. And the curse was that there was separation from God. And when people were separated from God, they felt the effects of that separation. Listen, one of the early church fathers, Gregory of Nazianzus, said this, I'm going to paraphrase. And J.D. Greer talks about it in support of the gospel because the early church fathers, they, they say some perfect stuff, but some of them say some really good stuff. But Gregory of Nazianzus said this, he said, listen, when, when Adam and Eve, the reason why they were naked in the garden and they felt no shame is because they were clothed with the love and compassion of God. But when you when when they sinned and that that separation between God and man, when they weren't clothed any longer with the love and compassion of God, when the love of God that clothed them had been taken away from them, uh, that separation of the intimacy of that had been taken away from them, then they felt their shame. See, when you feel God's love, you don't feel shame, do you? I just want to tell you something. Because my wife loves me, even though I jacked up my, my relationship with her, I still feel no shame. I still keep coming to her. Why? Because her love is greater than my shame. Her love is greater than my shame. A demand we cannot meet, a burden we cannot bear. Then I want you to look at, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. If you, Randy, if you could, I'm sorry for not putting on there. Uh, Galatians 3.13, let's turn there, saints. Galatians 3.13. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Galatians 3. 13. A demand we cannot meet, a burden we cannot bear. The burden is a curse. But look what Jesus did for us. Look what he did. Christ has redeemed us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a what, saints? A curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cross. He became a curse for us. He, we get his perfection, called his righteousness, and he takes the curse that we could not bear. And it's all in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the second promise of God reigns true because of the depth of the knowledge of God is this, is that we get mercy because of Jesus. And we get mercy. And his mercy is new. Second Corinthians 5, 21 says this. And I love this. Right. God made him who had no sin. Come on. Come on, we family, right? Go with me. Get ready to be over. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that we might receive what, saints? 
righteousness of God. Demand of perfection. But the Bible reminds us for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also reminds us for the wages of sin is death. There is a burden we cannot meet. Christ became a curse for us. Just as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. When you don't know what to do, and when you're in a place where you don't even feel God, and you're sitting there in your relationships with the job and life and school, and you're just like, what? I, you know, God, why is everything working out for others and not for me? I want you to do something. I want you to put your Bible on the ground. I don't think this is unholy. And I want you to stand on the promises of God, not out of disrespect for Him, but out of the knowledge of His glory and say, God, I know this, that there's a promise that you see what I don't see. And because you see what I don't see, I get mercy. And number two, because of your knowledge, that is Jesus Christ who did for me what I cannot do for myself. I get mercy because of Jesus and because of knowledge. And because of that, while we now can sing this invitation song, here's my heart, Lord. Here is my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. I'm talking to believers. And I'm talking to non-believers. Is anybody in here need the mercy of God? Come on. God, I need you to make that relationship right. God, I need you to make the circumstances right. God, I need you to speak to my life because I need this future. I need directions. God, I just don't really feel you. But God, I need this. I need mercy. Mercy, mercy, all oh, the depth of the riches, insurmountable abundance, immeasurable abundance of the wisdom he sees what I don't see, and the knowledge he became and gave what I could not bear. The knowledge of God. So Paul sing in Romans chapter 11 so he can land in verse 36 for excuse me for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen today is there anybody in the room that just needs to say God I'm struggling over this so here's my heart, Lord. As Bobby, as they sing over us and play over us prophetically, here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. In this world, there are many voices, but there is only one who's been resurrected from the dead. There's one voice that outspeaks any other voice, and his name is Jesus Christ. Do you need to hear from him today? His mercies are new every morning. And by the way, saints, I just want to tell you that his gates have been opened wide to us as believers. And he says that we can run. The, the, the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into, and they are safe. Oh, that we can come to the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Who needs to come to the Lord today? Who just needs to say, God, here's my heart. Here's my heart. Speak what is true. He will speak prophetically into Robbie's heart as he speaks and seeks up for us. Who needs to hear from the Lord? King Jesus, you are a savior. You are a rock. You are a fortress. And we run in today. And today it is from you and through you and to you all glory. Here is our heart. Speak what is true. We, Lord, need mercy. We are weak, but yet in our weakness, you said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Woo! we boast about weaknesses so that King Jesus can be glorified. Here's my heart. 
voice in my heart but you, Jesus. I don't want any other voice. Who in here in this room just needs to hear the voice of the Lord? Come and kneel before the Father if you're physically able. If you're not physically able, raise your hand. We'll come to you. But God, please speak to us today. You promised we have an open heaven. And Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened, the Spirit descended like a dove. And the last time I checked, it is always open because the Spirit lives within us. So, Lord, speak what is true. And Lord, for the people in this room that have never surrendered their life to you, they're trying to make right the demand that you've called upon them. Keep doing those good things, Lord. He said, be perfect. So I have a question, Lord, for everyone in this room. Is there anybody in here perfect? I know some of us think we're at 95, 96, 97, 92, 93. But God, the passing rate is not 93 or higher, 95 or higher, 92 or higher, and 90 or higher. The passing rate is 100. It is perfection. And Lord, I'll go ahead and say, just like your word says, there's not one person. There's not a high school, middle school. There's not an elementary school. There's not a, a, a person in here that has a lot of life experience. There's not one in here that, Lord, that's righteous. No, not one. There's a demand we cannot meet, and there's a burden, a curse, a shame that we cannot bear, and that shame drives us to self-medicate with drinking and partying and relationships and everything else. That's just all self-medication, Lord, to hide what's really in our heart so we don't have to think about it or deal with it, and we just run from relationship to relationship, to job to job. We get mad at everybody else and blame everybody else, but the truth is our heart needs you. Today, you want to give us please work miracles in this world. Save people. Let them see you just come to you. See, I just I'm tired of running. I'm tired of time. I'm tired of trying to fix it. Let them tell us we're disciples. But Lord, for the believers in this room, I pray they quit running.